Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we're going to preview a classic film from the 80s that's gotten the director's cut treatment. You might remember it as the film that single-handedly ended the Cold War with just a pair of boxing gloves. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. The third MCU movie of the year is turning heads and raising eyebrows. I'll review Eternals, and I'll also take a look at the new season of one of my favorite shows, Netflix's Big Mouth. And I'll tell you what I thought of the first episode of Dexter, New Blood. But new on digital and on demand this weekend, hopefully, one of the greatest dumb movies of all time. Russia will now throw its hat into the ring. I've seen this Drago fight. Drago is a super athlete. I know I can beat him. Hey, Paolo, look, maybe the show is over. You've got nothing more to prove. He thinks he's fighting for the whole country, but his reasons are wrong. I'm asking him, as a friend. Stand in my corner. Just this one last time. Rocky IV, Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut. Sylvester Stallone has at last completed his director's cut, which was supposed to be released last year for the film's 35th anniversary, but Stallone just decided to take an extra year for editing, I guess. I don't know. The way this is being released, in the U.S., it is playing in movie theaters, or has already played, depending on when you are hearing this, On Thursday, November 11th, one night only, it's a promotion from a company called Fathom Events. So it's in select theaters across the U.S. So Canadians wanting to see it immediately on a big screen will have to cross the border, will have to had cross the border. But it's supposed to be released. They say it'll be released on digital, everywhere, on demand, everywhere. So should be able to rent this starting on Friday, November 12th, or depending on where you are in Canada, it is playing in select Cineplex theaters across the country on Wednesday, December 8th. And they say it has 40 minutes of never-before-seen footage. I did not come here to lose. Perhaps this simple defeat will be a perfect example of how pathetic your society has become. You're my friend. I should start this fight. And don't do this to me. Cannot be defeated. Somebody get a doctor in here! Soon, Hogwarts will know my name. Drago. Drago. I let it happen. I gotta take everything he's got. Some of the reported changes include big extensions to both fight scenes, Apollo's funeral scene, as you heard in there, more dialogue from Drago, and they cut Polly's robot. At first, I thought that I read they cut the robot scenes, you know, when they cha- just the, the scenes where they changed the voice to that of a woman because, you know, it's kind of creepy. But Stallone himself said the robot is going to the junkyard forever. No more robot. And Robert Dornick the founder of International Robotics and the voice of the robot, he says Stallone cut the scenes so he wouldn't have to pay any more royalties, LOL. Also worth pointing out, there are a lot of videos on YouTube that show Stallone working on this director's cut and talking about it and getting excited about it. So now I 
am excited, Jeff. Are you? I am excited. I, I also think Stallone has more than enough money to pay that robot guy with the piddly amount of royalties. He would have to pay them. Stallone's got a, a, a fortune. He could buy a small country if he wanted to. But yeah, no, I am excited about this. And I'm even more excited today than I was, say, a week ago because last weekend I watched Rocky Three, the one with Mr. T. And I was very into that. That was so entertaining. It's not a great movie, but it, it's just so much fun from beginning to end. That's also the one where uh, there's a, a, I was going to say a boxing match, but it's not a boxing match. It is a match between Rocky and Hulk Hogan, <laughs> although Hulk Hogan just comes in like wrestling style with no boxing gloves and picks him up and throws him into the fifth row. So you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of crazy stuff in Rocky 3. So yeah, that got me super jacked to you know see Rocky 4 again and I'm watching them in order. It's going to be a lot of fun whenever whenever we do get a chance to see it. Now, when I, I say it's one of the greatest dumb movies of all time, I say that lovingly because whenever I watch Rocky Four, there's really not much to it. Like it, a third of the movie is montage. Uh, there's one. And there's one point where there's the training montage, and then Adrian shows up at the Russian cabin. They talk for like thirty seconds, and then there's another montage so for there's like this 10 minute stretch where it's almost entirely montage and then of course the fight is you could sort of look at that as one giant montage but yeah it's a silly movie and the ending when everybody starts cheering for rocky that just it 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 would never happen that way but who cares it's a i know Movie boxing, especially Rocky movie boxing, is not boxing boxing, but so what? It's a fun movie. It's one of my favorite movies from my childhood, and it remains one of my favorite movies. So hopefully this director's cut adds to it in positive ways and doesn't take away from it. I don't want them to take out a lot of the, like everything that I liked and completely do something different. So, But yeah, I am pumped for Rocky Four. So in the event that it is not available on digital in Canada, then just wait for that December 8th release date uh, in the theaters, and then it should be available after that. But I'm guessing they're saying everywhere, so fingers crossed that that's going to be in Canada. We're recording this, by the way, on Tuesday, so a lot of times that sort of stuff is revealed on Wednesday (laughs) or Thursday. (laughs) So we're jumping the gun here because Thursday, of course, is Remembrance Day, and usually we record on Thursday, so uh, we're just staying out of the way for Remembrance Day. Uh, what do you think? You got to, you want to do Eternals now, or do you want to jump, wait until our next segment? Uh, let's wait until the next segment. It's uh, got lots to say about Eternals, Brett. Okay, I'm, I'm excited to hear it because the reviews were mixed. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go see it, so we'll see what JB has to say about Eternals next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has introduced a new group called Eternals. We are the Eternals. The Avengers, Thor, Spider-Man, but we have Thena. Hello. I'm sure that was a lot of fun for you. It was. Eternals assemble. Great line. Experience the Marvel Cinematic Event. Centuries in the making. Dad, I saw him on TV with the cape shooting laser beams. I don't wear a cape. <laughs> Marvel Studios Eternal, 3 PG-13. 
Eternals, the movie, is directed by Chloe Zhao, who won the Best Director Oscar this past spring for her movie Nomadland. It stars Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Brian Tyree Henry, Kumail Nanjiani, Salma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. And it actually stars several others as well, but there are too many to list, and these are the biggest names or roles of the bunch. In fact, there are 10 Eternals, and so the movie has quite a gargantuan task in having to introduce all of them and to do so enough to get us to understand where they're coming from and to get us to care about them. And the movie is surprisingly mostly successful in doing all this. The structure, I found, is quite a bit different from other MCU movies in that it goes back and forth from present day to earlier, much earlier at times, uh, you know, to tell the story of this group. And I got to say, I enjoyed the slight deviations from the sort of formula that we've come to expect from Marvel movies. It is only getting 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. The reviews are kind of all over the place. It doesn't really seem like there's one thing that you can point to that the critics didn't like. It's just that this movie didn't really wow them. The box office has been quite decent given the circumstances of the pandemic. Over $70 million domestically on opening weekend and over $160 million worldwide. It's just shy of Fast and Furious 9's worldwide opening weekend, which has been the biggest this year. So who are the Eternals? Well, it is complicated. The Coles Notes version that we are presented with at the beginning of the movie is that there are great interstellar beings called Celestials. These Celestials appear to range in size from as big as the Earth to being 10 times as big as the Earth. And in fact, they have created all the planets and all the galaxies and all the stars and whatnot. And then from deep, deep space, and it must have been pretty deep if the Celestials created all the stars in our sky, out come these deviants, which are these big monsters. Most of them are about the size of a bus, and they look like crosses between various animals or monsters and mythical creatures that we sort of recognize. And to combat these deviants who are, you know, land on a planet and kill all the people, the Celestials created the Eternals, superheroes that live forever, and their only job is to fight the deviants. And in fact, they're not allowed to interfere with the natural course of mankind in any other way, which is why they did not step up, you know, when Thanos was threatening the universe a few years ago. And speaking of Thanos, it seems that all the snapping of the Infinity gauntlet has brought some of these deviants back uh, back to life from their dormancy or something like that. You know, there was thought that they had all been killed 500 years ago, but they're back. Here we go again. And so the Eternals have to get the band back together and fight these things. And that's the start of the story. And it is by no means the end. And thank goodness, because there are things in that setup that didn't quite wash for me. But by the end of the movie, you know, the twists and the reveals make everything make a lot more sense. And while a lot of the reviews have said that it's, you know, too overstuffed or clunky, I thought the movie did a good job of unraveling the mysteries and laying everything out. It is a lot of exposition, but I thought it went down pretty easy. There's more of it than we're used to in the MCU especially since the last couple of years leading up to Avengers Endgame, of course, we had already been introduced to almost all of the major players. It was, you know, sequel city for all those characters, the setup having been done a decade ago for most of them. So now with Phase 4, we're being introduced to new characters. We've now had three origin movies in a row with this, Shang-Chi and even Black Widow, not that we didn't know who she was, but her sister, who will continue to be in the MCU, unlike Black Widow will, uh, was introduced in that movie. Gemma Chan Cersei in Eternals is sort of the main character, if there is a main character. I thought she was great. I looked her up upper uh, IMDb to see what else she had done, and I've seen her in other things, but I thought she stood out a lot more here than she has in some of the other things I've seen her for sure. Uh, you know, Marvel 
must have thought the same thing because she's in the movie Captain Marvel as a different character, yet they uh, recast her as one of the leads in Eternals. So I guess they weren't worried about people being confused by having seen her in Captain Marvel. Some of the other Eternals uh, don't get very much by way of introduction or background, but the movie is, you know, it's already too long and there's so many of them that I don't mind that we didn't do a deep dive on every single person, but it's a good motley group of different personalities and all the things that you would look for in a big group like this. There are, of course, you know, the requisite action scenes. The Eternals' powers mostly have to do with shooting energy balls in one way or another. Kumail Nanjiani's character, Kingo, literally shoots these energy balls out of his hands, while Richard Madden's character shoots these energy beams out of his eyes, and another guy stores up the energy in his fists, and then he can punch really hard like the Hulk, that sort of thing. There's also a fast runner and a mind reader or a mind controller and some other, you know, super, just random superpowers that we've seen plenty of times before. In fact, at one point, uh, a kid calls uh, Madden Superman. So in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC comic universe exists as well, I guess, because... Well, how else would they know about Superman, right? Kingo also has a human sidekick, and he's the biggest comic relief in the movie. And there's more comic relief in this movie than I was expecting. He's he's also one of the very few humans that's even showcased in the movie. That, or movie rather, there are a couple of early scenes with Kit Harrington, who plays Gemma Chan's boyfriend. But otherwise, this movie is almost entirely just made up of Eternals, Deviants, and Celestials. There are a couple of scenes set throughout history with crowds of humans who are mostly deviant fodder. Um, despite that comic relief, though, the overall tone of the movie, it's a little more serious than what we usually get with the MCU. It's not as serious as the DC movies or anything, but it is certainly more serious than we're used to in tone. And the movie, like I said, it was too long. It's over two and a half hours long, and that's my big problem with it. Although, again, there's nothing really glaring that where you think, oh, they should have just taken this out. It's all good stuff. There's just too much of it and especially since you know you have to sit through the long credits to get the two stinger scenes at the end and i think chloe Zhao could have found a way to cut 20 or 30 minutes out of this without us really missing anything but i mean now that i've seen it in theater i can watch it in pieces the rest of my life i don't have to watch it straight through next time when i watch it at home i can just watch for an hour and then come back later and watch another hour so i guess it being too long doesn't really matter too much once you get through that first theatrical experience. In the end, I thought it was a good movie. It's a little different than what we usually get from the MCU. And 14 years into the MCU, that is just fine with me. Four couch cushions out of five for Eternals, Brett. That sounds just fine with me, too. I look forward to seeing something that is a little bit different and getting to yeah. getting to know some new characters and see, them thing, see some things that... Uh, I haven't seen before from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It does look like a beautiful movie in terms of its visuals. So, And I'd like the cast, so I don't see anything wrong with that. I'll just have to go on a day where, you know, I don't have anything going on. And uh, a day where I'm <laughs> unlikely or less likely to fall asleep in the movie theater because that's been known to happen. Those recliners are dangerous like that. I actually made myself sit up a little bit more than I usually do yesterday. I was like, don't fall asleep, Jeff, because I was, I was a little bit tired of going in. Landmark cinemas and the recliner seats, they are indeed very, very dangerous. Just going to quickly mention here what I thought about Dexter. If she's right, how many other victims are there? I don't know. You are a serial killer. You love that you're getting away with murder and you cannot wait to kill again. Have you learned nothing? Dexter New Blood made its debut over the weekend on Crave. It hails from the Showtime Network in the United States. And the reviews have been 
so-so. I think last time I checked, it was around 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a decent start. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't thrilling. Because his life is not exciting or thrilling. So I think I can get behind that because he he's fled Miami. He's disappeared. He's under a new identity. He just leads a quiet, simple life. He's kept his urge to kill at bay because Dexter is a serial killer who kills other killers, but he has not killed for a long time. And he's trying to keep his dark passenger at bay. But something happens that threatens to reawaken the dark passenger. And all I'll say is that we do get to see some shades of the Dexter Morgan that we know and love or maybe hate, depending on where you fall, because that's one of the joys of this character is it makes you think like, should I be cheering for Dexter right now? Because he is killing people. Um, So it was okay. It was okay. I'm hoping that it gets better as it moves along or picks up as it moves along. But right now, I think that first episode was sort of fitting because he does have a quiet life. So that was reflected in that first show. It just showed how really unexciting his life was until he gets thrown a curveball. So we'll have more on this uh, through the season, of course. And in a moment, I know Jeff's excited because Netflix is about to drop its fifth season of Big Mouth. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And the newest season of one of my favorite shows is out now on Netflix. It's an animated show called Big Mouth. By season five, my best friend, little Nikki Birch, he had it bad for Jesse. I'm Walter, your love bug. Now, Jesse, she was busy too. You love her, honey. Hey, guys, I want to be part of this too. Oh, Connie. And then there was Missy. He's not the only one who can move, Missy. Watch this. See? Oh, stop it. And how could I forget Jay? Am I actually going to fight Lola for Jay? I hate you! I hate you! What the hell is that thing? I hate worm. <laughs> They're creatures that infect your soul. You love each other. You hate each other. We really put these children through the rigging. Big Mouth is created by comedian Nick Kroll, who voices many characters, including the main character, Nick, a lot of his friends and other comedians in the show as well, including John Mulaney, Jesse Klein, Jason Manzukis, Jordan Peele, Fred Armisen, and Maya Rudolph. It's the fifth season of the show. I've watched the first three episodes, which and it follows the lives of a bunch of junior high kids in suburban New York as they go through puberty, and it's pretty wild. For starters, it's probably the most foul-mouthed show I've ever seen, and that's saying something. Think of the dirtiest thing you could possibly say and Big Mouth will probably say worse in any given minute of any given episode it really is quite something and they don't shy away from anything nothing is off the table these are junior high kids after all and they're going through certainly the strangest period of their young lives as their bodies change and their hormones run amok and that's the genius of the show it's never really been done before because in the past there was simply no platform in which to be this frank about things like that and it's something 
every one of us has gone through. So while it's an animated sitcom and a lot of things are heightened, a lot of it rings quite true. There's a lot of humor and exploring how these kids learn some of the truths of growing up, some of the crazy myths they believe that, of course, are not true, and how they make terrible decisions in dealing with all of it. They're helped, of course, with the guidance of their hormone monsters, literal monsters that show up to give them the worst advice about how to deal with their urges and rage and humility and everything else coursing through their brains and bodies. Maya Rudolph, like I said, is in the show. She voices one of these hormone monsters, and she steals the show every time. She is so funny. If you like Maya Rudolph, the show is worth it just for her performance alone, her Emmy-winning performance, I might add. Like I said, the show takes on everything, sort of like Seinfeld would find all the little cracks in the social contract we live by and explore them. Big Mouth does the same about all the dirty thoughts that run through a 13-year-old's head. You'll definitely see a lot of stuff in the show that will have you going, yep, that's exactly what it was like when I was their age. And honestly, I often think, Thank God I don't have to deal with that anymore, and I feel bad for the poor teens out there going through it now. And the show is just side-splittingly funny to boot. Again, I highly recommend it, and again, it is like an X rating in the foul language department, and they have a lot of gross anatomy in the animation as well, but if you don't mind that sort of thing, I think you'll dig it. Season 5 of Big Mouth is out on Netflix right now. This one still is one of those things where I go, ah, why? Why did it happen this way? Because I started watching this well, when did the first season come out? Was I guess it was 2018, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh, well, four years ago. So they've pumped out five seasons already. And Hang on. Season one, Big Mouth. Oh, you watched it. Uh, yeah, 2017. That's right. You watched it in 2017. I didn't start watching it until 2018 uh, with somebody. And uh, we watched a few episodes together. And then I fell asleep. And then they kept watching, and they watched. The, they, they finished the season. So because it started as this thing that we were doing together, and then I was behind, and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to watch this alone. I don't. I'm not motivated enough. I was enjoying it, but I was enjoying watching it with that person. So right. I didn't want to watch it alone, uh, and I just never got caught up. And you've been talking about it now for the last four years, and I just feel like I need to get back on it. I seem to recall one of my favorite parts of the show being Maya Rudolph. As one yeah. of the uh, hormone monsters, as you put it. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, she steals every scene she's in. She's just so funny. And she's always, that's just Maya Rudolph. Like, whatever she's in, if it's a comedy, she's stealing scenes left and right. All right. So that's on Netflix. It came out this past weekend. And we got an update on one of Netflix's biggest hits. Dear Mike, today is day 185. I think I have finally adapted. Alright. Hold on to your butts, bro chachos. I even like school now. I have made lots of friends. Even so. I am ready for spring break. <laughs> Mostly because I get to see you. We will have the best spring break ever. Stranger Things 4. They released, I think it's now the fourth teaser for the fourth season. And they still haven't given it a hard release date. All we know is that it's summer of 2022, which means it will have been three years 
since Stranger Things 3. I'm just checking, double checking when that came out. July 4th, 2019. So, Season 1, 2016. So they've put out fewer seasons in more time than uh, Big Mouth has. So. Yeah. There you go. And now they, I know that they're, that in any show, any series of movies that you do, the kids age and they grow up, but they're still yep. teenagers for the most part. Millie Bobby Brown, who plays 11, is still 17 years old. But three years between seasons on Netflix, that is, uh, that seems like a lot to me. That's a bad move because uh, Netflix shows are notorious for being very popular for one or two seasons and then just dropping off the faces of the earth. Like Orange is the New Black was the biggest thing on TV the first season it was out, and by the end of it, no one was watching it. That's true. Did you ever finish watching that series? Nope. You did and watch I it, that right? Series. I did watch. I watched like four of six seasons, I think. Okay. Just never got around to finishing it. No. Just never did. <laughs> too much. There's too much stuff, Jeff. There's too much stuff to Absolutely. watch. Like, for example, we're eight in episodes into Survivor 41. I want to get out so many people, but I want to start with Eddie. Okay, I'm ready. Jeff, right? Yes. Everybody's just nuts. It's a hot, steaming mess. Don't you think it's me? I don't think it's you. What do you think it is? I thought it was me. I do not know what the plan is. You think it's me? It could be. Yeah, after more than a year-long absence, it was thrilling when Survivor came back into our lives in September. And, of course, the last season had been that all-star 40th season made up entirely of previous champions, and that ended right as the pandemic was really ramping up. And But now we're back to the regular game, except it's not really regular, and it honestly hasn't been that great. It started fine, but then we had the thing that sometimes happens where one group loses every week and gets a ton of airtime because they have to go to tribal council with fewer and fewer people to show because they keep voting them out. And then another group wins every week, and we're two months into the show, and they're still basically strangers to us because we don't get to see them that much. And last week's episode was after the merge, and for half of the people there, it was their first trip to tribal council. So Survivor kind of got burned in that regard. Those are never great seasons, but they can't really help that. There's a lot of staged phony stuff on reality shows, but I think Survivor plays fair when it comes to challenges. They just had one terrible team and one awesome team and also a middle team. However, the things they can control to some degree have also maybe backfired a little bit this season. They've introduced a whole lot of new twists and turns in the way of advantages and immunity idols and conditions and shots in the dark and things like that. And uh, it's been too much all at once. Every week it's some new thing. It's hard to keep track of, and not a lot of it has paid off in any great way, I don't think. I remember, you know, when they first introduced individual immunity idols, that was a great idea, and that paid off for years, and it's evolved along the way, but the core idea is still there, and that's, uh, you know, what's not happening now. They need a single great idea. This year, it feels like they're throwing eight ideas against the wall, hoping to see that, you know, one of them will really stick. You know, the phrase that pays thing that had, has seen some of these contestants saying weird things, the challenges and the tribal councils, that's been entertaining. But you can't do that every season because people are already hip to it, so it's lost its power. I do like that they're trying to come up with stuff, but, Brett, I think the rollout's been clunky and confusing, and I've just not been into this season very much at all. The phrase that pays thing, I think, is one of my least favorite gimmicks that I've ever oh, really? seen in Survivor. It, I, I will admit it, it is interesting because it's just, it's the things that they make them say, like uh, broccoli are yeah. just little trees, but the, 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 the phrases are so outlandish. So for somebody to have to come to tribal council and say it 
potentially three, four, not tribal council, but uh, to the challenge to come to the challenge three, four times in a row and have to say the same thing. Like if you said to me in four consecutive shows, you know, it just sometimes <laughs> it just feels like broccoli's uh, just a bunch of small little trees or whatever he said. I'd think you were on acid. So yeah. those contestants clearly must have known the second time somebody said it that there's something going on. So I think they made it too obvious as to what was happening to the rest of the contestants. So I, I didn't, I don't like that. And I just, as you pointed out, there there was a lot of work that went into that for virtually no payoff so far. So you know, if you're going to throw these things in, then we need to see a payoff or at least the threat of a payoff. And it just took too long. So I didn't like that. No one, has anybody even used the shot in the dark yet? La- last week, or the last episode we saw, the lady who did end up going home, she did try it, but I guess it just didn't pay off. Oh, she... Only d- get the, she said she was going to, or said, she, yeah, I think she said she did, but okay. it just didn't work. Because okay. you only got the one in six chance of the dice going your way or whatever. I can't even remember. I watched last week's episode now. <laughs> so maybe I just spoiled <laughs> they didn't it for show myself. It. I don't think they showed it. So. Okay. That sounds familiar. I heard her say that yeah. she might she might do the shot in the dark. But uh, I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm actually really surprised at how much I'm enjoying this because I thought there's no way, there's no way. How are they going to follow up the, that 40th season, which was so, so good with yeah. all the previous champions. But so far, Survivor continues to be one of the Couch Potatoes' favorite shows. It's on Global. And it's funny, I was actually talking to one of our colleagues here at Global Television <laughs> And she said, uh, I said, I was watching Survivor. And she says, you watch Survivor? And I'm like, yeah, it's one of the Couch Potatoes favorites. Yeah. And she sort of raised an eyebrow. And I don't know that she was, too, I think she was being kind of judgy, to which I should, I wanted to say, well, hey, your opinion is wrong. Survivor is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In a moment, we are going to tell you, you know what? I want to tell you about the Halloween movies. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about our favorite or or some of our favorite Halloween movies, and uh, I actually went back and watched them, and I still really liked them, although I did watch another one that is awful. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. A couple of weeks ago, it was Halloween, so we talked about some of our favorite scary movies or movies that scared us when we were kids. And two of the ones, the two that I chose, both from 1985, starting with Stephen King's Silver Bullet. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. That's a movie about a werewolf. The other movie is about vampires. Welcome to Fright Night. For real. Fright Night. Probably my favorite quote-unquote scary movie of all time because it's kind of a horror comedy, but when I was a kid, I didn't realize that. And Silver Bullet just scared the tar out of me when I was a kid. So I watched them both on demand. I have Shaw Cable, and I have Hollywood Suite, and they were available through that. So I was happy to to find them both there. And I was really happy to watch Silver Bullet again. I hadn't watched it in years, 
And I thought it would be terrible. I just thought there's no way this movie is going to be any good. It's going to be dated. It's going to look awful. And yes, it looks dated. It's made in 1985. Uh, but the makeup is still pretty cool in some spots. And there are some scenes where even though I knew exactly what was going to happen, I knew our protagonist was going to escape, was still scared. It was the suspense and the tension was still there. And it was a 90 minute movie in out simple story done yeah i think you talked about this just last week jeff some movies just don't need to be as long as they are and it was nice to watch a movie that was an hour and a half long oh absolutely and the 80s are just prime examples of that it's hard to find a movie from the 80s that's you know longer than an hour 45 and i think fright night was about an hour 45 like I said, this movie is one of my favorites. Uh, I was happy to watch it again. It still holds up for me. It is cheesy 80s. If you were to watch it for the first time, I suspect your opinion of it would be different than mine because, of course, mine is based in sentiment. It's something that I liked when I was a kid and have watched it repeatedly over the years. But I still think uh, Chris Sarandon is awesome as the vampire Jerry Dandridge. And it's got some pretty cool music in it, too. Uh, like there, there were songs that I've wondered my whole life since I've seen this, like, what song is that? And then I realized, oh, yeah, I'll just hold my phone out and use the Shazam app. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's what that song is. I can finally look that up. The other movie I watched, and we don't have time for a clip here, is Creep Show 2, because while I was looking through movies, that also popped up. This is a movie from 1987, another Stephen King movie where he teamed up with George Romero. Uh, the first Creep Show came out a few years earlier, and they told, like, five little stories. So it was this, like, anthology horror movie. Never saw the first one, but I saw the second one. Uh, and so I saw the second one. I'm 10 years old. I'm at, <laughs> it was at my buddy Jason's birthday party. And when I got home and told my parents about this, that people were getting their faces melted off and that there were naked, there was a, half-naked lady, a bare-naked lady. You could see her bare chest. My mom lost her mind. She called uh, my friend's parents and yelled at them, what are you doing letting kids watch a rated R horror movie? Uh, <laughs> I was so... It's funny now, but God, I was embarrassed. My friends just would not let that go. And the funny thing is, is... Um, the second skit is called The Raft. It's about this, like, oil slick that melts your face off. And at the time, I was eating this pizza from Domino's that was covered in black mushrooms. So it looked like I was eating exactly what I was watching. So that was funny to go back and watch that movie, but it was not very good. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.